Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 413 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. Apologies for the voice. Just recovering from a cold. Yes, a cold. Not the other thing. It shall not be mentioned. No, I did test myself as well. No, other than that, my my voice is a little bit octave lower. It's fine. Oh dear, see? Not good. Doesn't matter. Still here to do the intro for episode 413. Of the Sausage Factory. So what does it feature? I hear you ask. Well I don't. I'm assuming you're saying. Anyway. In this episode I chat to Maurice Elaine. Of Tiny Raw. About the design and development. Of their third person. Action adventure game. Excel. Or is it Zell? No it's Excel. We did establish this. During the interview. Which is a great one. By the way. All my voice is very strange. I'm sorry it's very distracting. But anyway just. Try to focus above the weird voice and just like, you know, listen to the words if you can. So, yeah, Excel uh, is, I, I, I like the fact in this particular game that you can freeze time or change time and go into another era and then interact with that space as it was and then flip time back into the present. And by doing so, you can traverse areas by using, you know, lateral thinking. Using time, because time is but a river. that You go up and down, apparently. And Excel demonstrates this quite well. Oh, my voice, I'm so sorry. You know what, maybe I should stop talking and let my past self, who hasn't got a cold, take it away. Should we do that? Healthy Chris, please, from the past. Take take it away, Morris. Hi. Who are you? What do you do? (laughs) Hi, my name is Maurice Alain, and I am a game director and narrative designer at Tiny Raw. Which is a fantastic name for a development studio, and we'll come right back to that towards the end. But I want want to know, because I've got this vision of a little creature, tiny little creature going, (laughs) and it's just great. So... And you can barely hear it, but he's definitely roaring. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> How did you make your start making video games, Morris? Um, like, I, I kind of start a little bit early in the sense of, like, what motivated me to do games. And I, I'm this cliche 80s kid that, um, like, my dad rented a Nintendo Entertainment System from the uh, VHS store uh, because, I don't know, we didn't just You could buy do that uh, back then. You could do yeah, you could rent PlayStations. It was just so <laughs> weird. Go on. <laughs> yeah, and uh, 
so and 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 like of course it had like this cartridge with like three games on it with Duck Hunt, Soccer, and Mario, or was it Tetris? Like what, what, Duck Hunt might might be a separate one, but like of course I played Super Mario Brothers. And before that, like as a child, I always was doodling, and I had a cousin who was a great artist. And my goal was always even then, like I want to do comics. And then I played Super Mario Brothers and was like, holy crap, what's that? Like this is even cooler than a cartoon because I can play it. Uh, but then it was still like, yeah, go back to um, comics. And then I played Sonic the Hedgehog for the first time on the Mega Drive, as it's called in Germany, I guess Genesis in the US, right? And um, like it, it, it sounds silly, but like as a like seven or six-year-old, like the whole attitude of the character, the design, the speed, like the environments, the music were like, I can literally remember and smell the room I was sitting in while I was playing this for the first time. And I went insane. Like for me, this was the point. Like I'm even wearing a Sonic shirt right now. Um, was like, oh, I want to do this. And since then, I always wanted to do this. But uh, let's say like Germany doesn't have like a big culture of video game companies. Like we have some really cool game IPs that started even out early on. We have the Settlers, we have Anno, um, we have like the Delic. But like when you grow up, um, there's not like this go-to studio or we don't have any academies where you go this. So basically, like when you get asked in school, they sent you someone from the workers office that basically is like the guy who has like the hat from Harry Potter to put on your hat and say which job you need to do when you grow up. Uh when you ask them, yeah, can I do video games? And they're like, no, but you can become a teacher. So I went into media design and um, during school, I met my hetero life partner, Robert, who's like my best friend since forever. And we both bonded over Dreamcast, Fantasy Star Online and everything. And we always hoped that we could make games. So he went into the 3D direction. I always wanted to be a game designer. So we actually got a job at the game studio. And after years, I actually got into a game studio as well. Then we worked at the same studio at Big Point in Hamburg. They were big for doing browser and free-to-play games and were like kind of the first ones to do this successfully, so to say. Um, but we were like, at some point, like you're super happy you finally are in the industry I got to meet amazing people that worked on Fable and whatever. Uh, and at some point you're like, that's not it anymore. And like you either, when you are young, you do your own bar or whatever, or you create your own game studio. And we did the latter one. Um, and that's how we formed Tiny Raw. And this is now like over seven years ago, like in Hamburg. Uh, so we originally from Cologne, then we moved to Hamburg for the jobs. And then we created Tiny Raw. And we started out with three people bootstrapping, and doing lots of smaller projects. And since two years, we are finally in a situation where we can kind of decide for ourselves what kind of games we do. And uh, that's where we are now. And I don't want to extend the answer to this question too much. <laughs> no, because, yeah, we're going to hold on until the second half where we talk about Excel and uh, what, a, what, a, what, a, what experience that is. It's, uh, when I first saw the video of it, I'm like, Wow. We, yeah, we need to get him on the show. Just things need to be said, and it happens. So, let's delve into that because I really want to. But we, you know, we we got, got a few a few more questions. The first half, everyone, come on, have some patience. But <laughs> as creators, now you can answer this as personally or as 
on behalf of Tiny Raw, or both. I don't mind. Mm -hmm. But what are your biggest influences as creators, do you think? Um, without a doubt, it's the whole... I have the feeling of like 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 this philosophy and this approach to professionalism that Nintendo puts out. Uh, like, regardless of everything behind the scenes, like I think in every sausage factory there are some weird bones to be grinded. Yeah. I don't know. Like I don't, I don't have a good like saying for this, but um, like this principles of game design, like teach players by letting them play. Um, instead of telling them how you play the game, and um, like this, this, this love for like doing goofy and silly stuff, but make it feel so well rounded that no one thinks about it anymore. I guess if you would pitch someone, hey, I want to do a shooter for the whole family, like only Nintendo would be able to pull it off by putting squid like creatures that can turn into Harajuku fashion icons and have uh, brushes as weapons in such an effortless way, so to say, as Nintendo. And of course, you always strive to come at least close to this. Um, we don't want to imitate anyone. Like, we want to have our own style. And our own style is a tiny roar. That's why we have this name. Can I spoil it, why we have the name already? Or is this, like, for later? Uh, do, do you want me to answer this later while we are calling no, no, ourselves? No, no, it's just relative to the to the, to the question because <laughs> yeah, it's really, yeah, okay. So, so... Know, it's it's just really about. I love the fact that you're inspired by the mere approach by another company, yeah, which another company being Nintendo, which is a very very unique company and beguiles a lot of people. People don't get it. Like, what are they? Do they make video games? Well, yes. But their approach to it is so different. I was going to use another word there, but it's inappropriate. I think different <laughs> that people don't really understand that they, they craft them with a capital C. They really craft this stuff and they think about things to the point where they most people wouldn't give it a second thought or yeah, even and a then, first like... thought. And, and, and challenging some paradigms that are yeah. already established. Like if you look at Pikmin, which is an RTS that you control with a controller perfectly. And like, it, it, I, I like all of this, like questioning, like how can we do this so people enjoy this? And uh, I was super angry when, the, uh, when Ubisoft came out with Mario X Rabbits because um, I always wanted to do an XCOM that is for everyone because yeah. I think in every single game that is currently successful only in a certain niche, you can always explain to people that something is fun and make it fun for them. If you change it to a bit where they understand it, like you can like a lot of times I met people that said, I would never play video games. Video games are not for me. And what I saw then is they haven't met the right game for them. And um, this is the cool thing about making games, trying to be inclusive, like not trying to do this super niche game that's only for this certain hardcore uh, people, but maybe make something that's for everyone. And those who want to get hardcore can in the end. Like if you look at people playing Mario Odyssey or Breath of the Wild as pros, I will never be able to pull that off but everyone can start out playing that game and i really adore that and with tiny raw so so like in germany 
a lot of the businesses, and those were not the ones that I mentioned before, except maybe a studio that worked at before, is a lot of um, companies were founded because games are a business model, not because they're a craft of art or yeah. of yeah. fun. And um, in that circles, everyone is kind of like hustling and like trying to be super cool and like, yeah, we have these big numbers and yeah, let's have a business party that's in a church and there are strippers and it makes everyone uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable, but yeah, that's the games industry. And like, we felt super weird about this, like about this whole attitude and whatever. And what we want to do with Tangro is like create a safe space for people that want to make games. They want to focus on making games, not trying to cool game developers that go to party like we, we like to party don't get me wrong and like i'm not king shaming anyone about like having like no, no. i don't know whatever in a church like enjoy it um <laughs> but um sort of tiny role like it's in the name so we want to do something like with a small group uh and we're gonna make some noise but we're not gonna be like bragging about it like it's 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 we, we want to let our game speak for ourselves and I wouldn't say that we are at the point where we are already there yet, but it's always like what we strive for. Like that's like um, we that's, try to grow with every game. That's a very laudable approach to this. And you're right; you can be inspired by Nintendo, but you can't be them because then you'll just be Nintendo, and that's absurd because they've been doing this for over a hundred years, I think. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. It's approaching that kind of figure. And whereas yourself said, well, this, I think the word professionalism was brilliantly applied there. It's just that kind of attention to detail and just thinking, really breaking everything down into small, small components and really exploiting that. And a lot of times they get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. And then this is something about like making games in general is yeah. like, and then something that we learn learn with every game is you have to fail so much in order to get at least one thing right yeah. that sometimes the balance seems off. And I think this is always important, like with your work with this podcast, is listening to other people failing, making mistakes. Yeah. Like I like when I worked at Big Point, um, I was so humbled by meeting senior people that worked on, let's say, Tomb Raider one and two or whatever. Yeah. And for whatever reason, like the most seniorish people were always the one that were like the kindest, the most humble ones yeah. because they already made those mistakes. And like you will do make mistakes when you make games, but they didn't try to play it like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted that to happen or whatever. They're like, oh, no, I fucked up. Like yeah. this is like me <laughs> it's being a feature, dumb. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so that's um, you know, very helpful. A common thing, and we're going to come on to our next question, which is related to the last one, of course, is you learn from your outcomes. They can be successes as well, but you learn from your outcomes. You learn yeah. from those things, and you will... I always say learning from successes is absolutely... It's some, not enough people talk about them, but it's just... We, you've done something right, and it spits <laughs> out something awesome. And you go, well, I'm going to do that again. You know? <laughs> so... Yeah, I say don't learn from your mistakes. Learn from your outcomes. It's way better. Cause yeah, that, that sounds, sounds more encouraging. <laughs> more encouraging because not everything you try is going to turn to mush. Sometimes you put something the first time and you go, oh, well, that actually worked. 
you, and then, yeah. then then you try to figure out how did that work. So, no, don't do that because then they'll just send you insane. Just just do that again. Okay. So, next question: What video game developer do you admire most, and why? It can be more. Yeah. Than I, one. <laughs> yeah. So so I, I always try to not name like this one person no, no. because like I think with this whole thing when you think about. Sakurai from Smash Brothers or Miyamoto um, or Peter Molyneux is a good example. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like, he's getting a lot of mentions and I met his uh, like former peers and you see like and then the same for me, like when I'm saying I'm the game director, I immediately feel shitty because like there's been plenty of people who in, like helped shape the game direction. Yeah. So, um, but but it would would go back to that, or like even just like people that I meet in like in my city in Hamburg, like we have several indie studios. There's so many people that are just like against all odds. They want to do games. And we make them for an audience, right? And like not losing that out of sight. So I would say to put it more general, maybe, and not to give like a satisfying answer is I admire game developers that understand their craft, are not full of themselves and enjoy what they're doing and don't make working for them a living hell. Like, and since I don't know one more I would say celebrity developer that no. where this applies to them. Um, but of course, like back in the days, Miyamoto was someone who I always admired because I liked his childlike approach to stuff. But if you read the behind the scenes stuff, of course, like he's a difficult person to work with because he gets very harsh critique, but he pushes you to excellence. But is yeah. this the right way? How he do how does it? I don't know. I've never worked with him. No. So um Apart from that, I really adore the guys from Game Freak that did the uh, Pokemon games because, like, this uh, thing of like, hey, we have a fan magazine, and then we create this game, like, and we overdo, like, iterate on it over and over, and we always get denied any publishing deal, and in the end, they only a few people are left, and the sound designer is learning how to code, so they finish uh, the game and stuff. This is a cute story, like this. Yeah, I admire this. No, that's, that's really... Yeah, not, not enough really... People really realise that, you know, it's made not by Nintendo. It's, it's No, not at all. There <laughs> is. Like, they publish it and stuff, and they, there's like a second party, I think. Or no, I may be wrong. Sorry, I'm going to shut up, because I don't know nearly yeah, enough about this. Pokemon. Yeah. Is, uh, or its creation. But I do know it's by a very separate company, and uh, they, they have this symbiosis relationship that they've been enjoying for over 30 years or so now. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it is remarkable. I am slightly too old to, to re-enjoy the original when Pokemon originally came out. I was way too old when it sort of appeared and then was, it was guided for, I was in my sort of early twenties, I think. So it was like, yeah, just, just, that's the thing. Okay. But I appreciate what it is, what it does and why it's so successful <laughs> and why it's so popular. Uh, but for me, it's just really always passed me by because I'm failed. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> You're you know, not old. I, yeah, well, no, no, no. My genuinely, my first video game was actually Pong in the 1970s. I'm not joking. So you know, yeah, that's... it's fine. It's perfectly fine. So okay, last question of the first half. Here we are. It's a question I have to ask because we're a video game podcast, and if I don't ask it, there might be you know 
legal issues. So here we go. <laughs> in, in some weird licensing issue with podcasting. I don't know. Here we are. What are you playing right now? Uh, good question. Um, like, uh, something that I want to do less is, like, play games that are, like, season-based or PvP because I always have okay. the feeling you spend a lot of time on them, right. but you don't get something back from it. Like, yeah. this weird feeling, like, instead of if you finish a game on your game pile. But yeah, I'm yeah. playing a lot of Teamfight Tactics because, um, yeah... Uh, I'm a sucker for strategy that is turn-based. Um, but like the game that I play like uh, the most before that or that I always go back to is Persona 5 and I can't wait to buy it again for the Switch. Uh, so I have it now three times. And uh, oh man, and I actually always go back to Pokemon games as well. So I'm a huge sucker for uh, uh, RPGs and tactic games. And one game that touched that touched me the most is this a it's a weird thing to say. I'm not a native English speaker, so you have to deal with this. That's all right. Um, <laughs> but, but but like uh, Yakuza, like a dragon, right? In terms of um, pathos, so I really like um, Shonen Jump mangas, like this whole One Piece Naruto thing, where you have like this at first glance silly main character that bonds with other very different characters and. When you then pull away the curtain, you see their sad or dramatic um, background, and it almost uh, make you make you cry and stuff. And I love this. I love this pathos, and this is something that influenced me a lot, like this whole type of narrative when writing for Excel. Because what I want to do with like because we had I had the discussion like with my publisher, not 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 a bad one, but but like they were just asking like. Why are you writing in the style that you're writing? Because like how Reed is written, like our main protagonist in, in Excel, is um, I would say she's talking more like a normal person, and she's not doing this theatrical speech, so to say. So she's yes, not I like know. not Shakespearean. As sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. So and 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 I think like we, we are on like this. this it's, it's a very hot, tough line to walk. Uh, because like you now have Marvel movies where nothing can be serious. Like, oh, look at your comic accurate costume. Let's make a joke about that. Oh, look at this gigantic monster that is threatening to eat the world. Let's make a joke about that. And I think sometimes they make it themselves a little bit easy because it's always easy to make fun of something. It's the same as game reviews. Like since Angry Video Game Nerd and others like starting this type of, I want to say British style of ranting, um, they, they, it has become very popular to be negative about stuff. And I think with writing, it's like, I want to be hopeful, silly, and serious at the same time. And I hope I was able to do this. But yeah, talking about this, like Persona does this really well and Yakuza Like a Dragon. So I really admire those games. I will always play them again and again. Someone asked me the other day, like, what's the best Vita game? And before even I could let them finish the <laughs> sentence... Like, yeah. Persona 4 Golden. What? Why are you still here? Why are you still here? <laughs> You've got a Vita and it's still working. Yeah, and you haven't... What, what are you doing with it? <laughs> That's the Persona 4 Golden machine. That's what it's... Yeah. Yeah. That's actually the only game that I own for my Vita. <laughs> and, uh, I've got... I, no, I do have a little sprinkling. Not too many. Uh, yeah. You downloaded. Most people just downloaded them, didn't they? Really, on the Vita, which yeah. is now that's why everyone kicked off when Sony went. Oh, we're going to shut it all down. No, you can't do that. 
<laughs> so, I'm not gonna. What are you doing? You know, uh, but anyway, no, yeah, there it is. I, I fully endorse. I, I do a big fan of JRPGs, but uh, the last one I played and finished was, um, uh, yeah, I think it was uh, Dragon Force Two. No, not that. Uh, just try to remember. It's definitely a number eleven, but. Um, yeah, it just basically played itself towards the end, which is a bit sad because uh, I just min maxed. <laughs> I min maxed everything, and the big boss at right. the end. It's my fault. Okay. I, was in, I, I own it because I just I was sitting there going, <laughs> "Oh God, what am I doing?" But I just they just the big boss and like, "Oh look, it's changed shape now." It's, I, I actually went off and made a cup of tea and just stood there, <laughs> and wait for it. Are you done now? Okay, great. That's it. Yeah, but, but 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 many games have changed in that direction. Like, oh, even like back then, you, if you had like a Turbo controller or whatever, yeah. and like you played a JRPG, you would just uh, enable the A Turbo, and yeah. you could eat your cereals eat while you're cereal. watching we'll watch, like watch, the party. Watch, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like Dragon Quest. Uh, yeah, uh, Dragon Quest uh, Eleven. That was it. It's only yeah. PS4. That's why I played it on. I know that they enhanced it and probably fixed all that, but honestly, it was just like. It was so easy to max it. It was just like, well, obviously, you just do the crafting and then you make these ridiculously overpowered weapons and voila. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very old school in every regard, I want to say. Yeah. And I guess that's why it's still so popular also in Japan. Like when I visited uh, Tokyo once, I was blown away how much Dragon Quest advertisement was. Yeah. Uh, like it's basically every single corner in Akihabara is really full of this. And yeah, it makes sense. Like they, that's their big IP. Like yeah. it has Akira Toriyama in it. Yeah, just didn't really. They tried and tried and tried to push it in the West, but it's just like, yeah, no. It's we'll stick to Final Fantasy. Don't know why. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to the second half of the show, where we delve deep into Excel. Thank you. 
So, Morris, in your own words, could you tell us, as the first question of the first, of the second half, what is Excel? Um, I have two answers to this. Like the marketing one would be, uh, yeah. it's a love letter to the old school action adventure games like The Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening, Link to the Past. Um, it ha- mixed with modern elements like crafting and uh, cooking and uh, storyline that twists some of the stuff that you would expect from a Zelda with a silent protagonist on its head. So we have a very chatty protagonist. Um, and we don't want you to insert yourself into our hero, but actually follow her along and fall in love with her. Like the other one would be, we give you the snack until you wait for Breath of the Wild 2 and um, hopefully have a good time playing a game from 20 people that literally work their asses off for doing this. Um, there's lots of love in this. And like always, like after the release is pre-release, because we're still working on the game, obviously fixing bugs, because we did QA for over five months. And of course, players will find stuff that you never were able to fix. And then, like, there's, like, submission stuff with Nintendo. Nintendo takes a little bit longer than Steam for a new version to push. And you're, like, constantly just, like, stressing out. And But in general, like, Cell tells the story of a crash-landed person that lands in a strange world that is a mix between sci-fi and fantasy. And you basically have to figure out what happened here because it looks like there has been civilization before. But it takes some time until you meet someone else. And um, there's a very dark... Um, secret to Xel and it actually like I can tell you this as I wrote the story for this um, it was also our way how how we dealt with the last almost three years where it was about climate crisis uh, pandemic corrupt politicians uh, weird ass billionaires controlling the world and stuff like this. And we tried, we didn't try to tell a story that gives an answer to these problems. But I would say similar to old school mythology, we're trying to make some parallels so you can find yourself in there and maybe get some hope out of it. And also that um, to break a cycle of violence is needed. So this is basically the message of Excel. And just to give paint a bit of a picture to everyone, the presentation of it is... <clears throat> kind of isometric, but I don't like using that term yeah. because that's <laughs> yeah. has its own connotations. But basically, it is a fixed camera view, isometric. Yes, yes, yes. You don't jump; you just walk over gaps and where you can jump over them. You don't have to. The platforming is not really there. Which I really like. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so it, it's 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 very controversial, as I see from the Steam comments that we don't have a jump button. So every decision where we were not sure how we should make this game, we looked at like the 2D Zelda games and tried to, like we didn't want make platforming be part of the gameplay. It should be something where it's just like, of course there's jumping because the world is not flat and uh, Earth isn't either. And uh, like in every gameplay aspect, like imagine you play a modern take on the old school Zelda games with a little bit more focus on story and crafting. Yeah, I, I just think it's it was lovely to see because it's like how often have I played a game, an action-adventure game, like, look, I know what I need to do, but my hand-to-eye coordination isn't what it used to be. So for me to do these, <laughs> like, amazing, pixel-perfect 
well, polygon perfect these days, jumps to land <laughs> just right. And, and it's like, can I just get through? I mean, <clears throat> not every game is Oli Oli, okay? <laughs> Oli Oli, yeah. I, I adore those games, and they've been on a recent yeah. episode, and I, but they have their place. Uh, yes. This is, Excel is a is a is an adventure game. Can we just adventure, please? You know, <laughs> and that's what I love about it. I'm not saying it has to be. I mean, there's the scales of adventure. This is an action adventure game. Yeah. In a very purist film, and I do use that word term yeah. very delicately, but in a very obvious and transparent way. And it <laughs> doesn't. It's not afraid to wear that 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 name. Um, yeah. But if it's all, you want an adventure game, then you can go and do your pointed clicks, which are lovely as well. Got a lot of time for them. But if you want an you know, arcade game, then I don't know, Hollow Knight? I don't know, something like that. It's, it's that's <laughs> bad, bad. Dead Cells, better example. You know, that's kind of, you know, arcade adventure. It's not like me, yeah. like, it's really. Yeah, it's, it's, like, 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 I guess with, with like the, the whole, like, we, we just talked before we started recording about Elden Ring and, and, and yeah. stuff like this. Like, I, I guess, like, a lot of games are now brave enough again to be hard. Yes. Um, and for us, it was like, um, you try to find this middle ground of you can decide how you want to play this game because you can actually follow the story pretty straightforward through with it. But then it gets hard because you don't have your upgrades. And if you have the feeling, oh man, I'm, not doing well in battles, don't stress about it. Just explore the world. You will find chests with crafting materials that will give you really like a huge advantage. You can craft yourself snacks that make you go faster and harder. And um, so you can find your own way through Excel, I want to say. And yeah. Um, yeah. it was a huge gamble for us because it's very hard to balance a game where everyone plays different. But looking at some streamers that are playing it right now, we are really happy that people enjoy exploring this because at some points we had the feeling like, oh, the world is too big. We should have streamlined experience more. But it seems we... It's too like, beautiful it, it, not to explore. It genuinely is. Uh, how you do uh, yeah. the, the soft focus stuff, I really like mm -hmm. that. That was just like... <laughs> that could have gone all sorts of wrong, but you somehow... Go, look, see, that's quite interesting. It's a classic Zelda thing. See that thing over there? You think that's interesting, don't you? You'd like to get to it, but do you have the thing to get to it? No, but you will. <laughs> yeah. And that's great, and that's just wonderful. So that's the, that's the core of, of Excel. But let's, um, let's delve into the design questions now. Here we go. Brace yeah. Yourself, Morris. Here we go. Seatbelt is on. The time distortions mm -hmm. in Excel, which I haven't really spoken about. And it's not really a spoiler because it happens really quite early on. Yeah. Um, and they occur within a limited space, typically, rather than the whole environment, the whole world. In Now, I'm going to go back to a really old game now, Soul Reaver. Soul Reaver is a game that where you switch between the spirit realm and the material realm. And the whole world will completely change, and platforms would appear or disappear depending on what realm you're in. Kind of like the Soul Reaver games. So this whole switch around was very much like, oh, great! I'm not, a, although I'm not a weird vampire thing, weird, uh, but I am <laughs> doing that. But I have to ask, why? <laughs> why did you limit the? I, think, I know mm. the answer to this question, but you, I just find it no, 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 but, but, but you didn't. Go full 
world, you just went, no, we're just going to focus it on this one space where disruption occurred. And just want to ask, why did you do that? So I guess like that, that even ties to the question, like what do you do when you get the offer to make your own Zelda-like, but you need to hit a certain scope? Um, so because like we built this prototype, we showed it to Assemble Entertainment, our lovely publisher, and they were like, cool, we will give you money for this. And we also got like funding from the German government to do yeah, this. So it, it like I, I could just say like it's not a triple I budget but it, it's a budget and it was bigger than we uh, had budget before and um so we thought about okay how can we make the most of the assets we have because if you do a single player experience the problem is that people will see things and then maybe never again so um of course you want them to backtrack but you don't want to make backtracking tedious and at the same time you want to make it interesting and a lot of times, also in Zelda games, there's like this shadow realm world kind of thing, like in A Link to the Past. And <clears throat> he thought, hey, what if you can play the whole map in two different styles, like past and present? And uh, then, of course, like what we were talking about, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Like we had like logic and shaders built for it that every every asset can turn into old and and and. and and overgrown and whatever. Like we had, we had the tech for that, so to say. But what we saw level design wise is that people get lost. Like, so first of all, it's effort and budget. Like, it's very hard to create two worlds that are great. <laughs> so uh, then we would have would have had to scale down the overworld mm, like a lot. I would say by ninety percent. And because we saw that from our prototype where we actually tried to do this, like have this logic of everything has a past version of itself, but it affects the future as well. And yeah, no, this is too much. And also that what we saw is like people just get lost and then you can't focus on what is a puzzle and what is not. So in Zelda, they make it, you go into a room, the door locks behind you and you have to solve the problem. And we kind of wanted to soften this a little bit because we're a little bit more open worldish. I want to say even our first dungeon doesn't completely feel like a Zelda dungeon because it doesn't have a proper roof, so to say. And like, you can always see into the next room. Um, but we wanted you to be able to understand <clears throat> where time travel is important and useful and then make very meaningful puzzles instead of just having it. Yeah. In the past, this platform is a little bit lower, yeah. And then in the past, there's a bush, and then whatever. So no, it should like always feel like a, a cool thing. Dimension, I thought it was fantastic. I just, I felt like the cleverest person alive when I figured out. Wait, I can just <laughs> go back in the past, move the thing, and then when I go back into the future or the present day, uh, it's moved. Yay! Yeah. Oh wait, this is bad. <laughs> uh, but so, no, I thought it was ingenious. Whereas again going back to soul reaver that was everything is still present you were just shifting between the, the the spirit realm and the physical realm but that's its own thing and you didn't want to make remake soul reaver either and also if you think about the arkham games like for me i always have this issue that because like the detective vision in the <laughs> arkham games is so amazing you almost spent the whole game in the detect detective vision mode yeah, but did. actually there's not a prettier Gotham City than in the Arkham games. 
and I w you want to see that as well. Yeah. And I think, um, like to answer the question, like shortly, is like budget and gameplay focus. Like yeah. if you make yeah. everything important, nothing is important. And so we wanted to focus the player a little bit better. And I never forget being completely spooked by the soldiers when you go into the past. <laughs> like, What's that? He's got a massive sword. What is it? <laughs> I'm just going to creep past him and hope he doesn't notice me. It's brilliant. So good. So good. Speaking of which, see, I've got, you know, there's a segue. There you go. Although it's not a segue anymore because I've just mentioned it. But anyway, I want to talk about combat in Excel. I want to talk about mm -hmm. the combat. Because it starts off as quite simplistic. You do a wonderful job of describing, like, come on, just, you know, you just hit stuff. You'll be fine. With a dodge. With a dodge. And you've got, you know, you've got the stamina thing in the middle it's right i love the fact that the stamina is right in your face it's not <laughs> tucked away in the corner like why can't i move oh like that's why because it's right in your face it's can't it's hovered right in the center of the screen like that's your stamina please look after it and <laughs> um i just wanted it start off as like i say put quite simplistic the combat the, the yep. enemies you face but then eventually really quite to ramp up not too much. It's not a cliff face, but it becomes more and more complex. And I just want to talk us through how you've designed this and how you've thought this through because it is a key experience. You do feel you have to battle your way through. You do. <laughs> I think yeah, you know, the, one of the most terrifying things I had was the spider things that latch onto you and then you've got to <laughs> roll away and then you know, they're, they're just... They're just—they're annoying. Like, like they—they—they they, they could be designed weak, but better. But when they latch onto you, like, oh, come on, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, but they—they—they yeah. they, were—they were terrified. But you had to work your way around it and figure out. And when you had lots of beings, there are certain devices you can slap down on the ground and stun them all and stuff like this. This is all quite early on, by the way, everyone. This is not particularly spoilery. We don't do spoilers in this show. That's for Kate no. So, yeah. uh, so. Um, <laughs> What uh, to talk us through the design of the combat then? How have you found slowly, incrementally, sort of building it up and up and up, and to make it more, you know, not interesting yeah. but involved? That's better, more involved. Yeah, if if, if you look at two D Zelders, yeah, uh, most of the time you can basically position yourself, except in boss fights, in a certain corner of the map and mesh the button because enemies will walk into you. You need to learn that pattern, maybe to stop real quick and use the shield. And we wanted to do it a little bit like more sophisticated. It's the wrong word, but like a bit more complex. And so we try to move over some things from the 3D Zeldas. Like, so that's why we have lock on. Um, so you can strafe around enemies. And um, then at the same time, of course, we have a lot of, uh, Dark Souls fans in our studio, and their ambition was always to have like at least a parry, right? But this is something that I wanted in there as well. Um, but I always said it shouldn't be mandatory for you to master parry, like similar to Breath of the Wild. Actually, guardians can be super easy if you master the parry because they kind of blow themselves up. But to master this, this takes time. But if mm. you can do this, um, you always feel rewarded. And this is something that we have. So like our enemies, similar in Arkham, have like short indications, maybe like a red glow in their eyes or whatever that you can parry now. And you can like stun them with this. And in the beginning, we thought about like having different weapons. But then again, ah, okay, 
this is getting over budget. And what we had then is make every gadget that you have be useful in puzzles as well as in combat. And they should never feel like just as another win button, but also as a double-edged sword. So you, like in the first dungeon, uh, spoiler alert, you unlock these electric taps, uh, traps called zap traps, mm-hmm. and you can place them on the ground. And like after a short time, they will trigger or someone something walks into it, they trigger as well. And if you throw them in water, they will electrocute everyone who's standing in the water. And they can electrocute yourself as well, so you oh, yes. don't get anything from it. 24. 24. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, like, we wanted to ramp this up and, like, teach you in a Nintendo way, like, hey, this is our fighting. At the beginning, you're just mashing stuff with your sword. The first enemies are super easy, but if there are more than one similar to walking dead zombies it gets more dangerous so you need to learn how to position yourself but then we didn't want to have like this like people dodging all the time and roll just through everything with invincibility frames uh so we gave you stamina so you have to use your stamina well with a mix between shield uh blocking stuff and rolling so rolling is about repositioning and shielding is about entering a duel and uh, once you get familiar with it and combine your gadgets with your fighting style, you can actually do quite some cool combos. So um, seeing some streamers already like using other gadgets to get closer to enemies, uh, place a trap, dash away real quick, then they are stunned, do something else and use a bigger weapon. And it's great to see that people learn to play the game how we would have dreamt that they would do this. That's wonderful, but, yeah. But but at the same time, there are enough people who will never do this, and I'm fine with this because you don't need to be able to do this. But you can uh, fight stylish, but you don't need to. No. And I thought the second boss was really fun. I mean, the fact that you've got to do certain <laughs> things, which yeah. we'll talk about later on because I've got a question about the bosses, but uh, they are wonderful. Yeah. Um, upgrading of items in Excel um, and weapons and yeah. cooking and... It's based on ingredients. You get a set of ingredients, and you've got to get all the particular ingredients. And once you've got all those, then you, they'll go away and they'll upgrade your stuff. And you get, you know, it's a Diablo-like in that you know it's the quest for truth, justice, yeah. and better stuff. Uh, in that, not necessarily in that order. Um, so why why did you go with that route? The, the, you foraging so much stuff in the world. Why did you do that? You why so huge sort of uh, yeah. variety of things what, what was what's that what how did that come about i think uh if you have like a world that you traverse a lot in there are two issues like at some point you have passed a certain area so often that you're kind of annoyed by the enemies and you're not playing the game how it wants you to play it anymore and you're just finding weird ways to avoid uh enemies because it's not rewarding, because it's actually a huge risk because you get hit. So at some point in Resident Evil games, that when you figure out that you can actually bypass every second zombie without fighting against it, it takes away the whole fantasy of the game because the worth, like the risk-reward thing is not big enough. Another thing is, if you have too early access to fast travel, like in Skyrim or Fallout, you will never look at the world the same way again. Like It loses a lot of sense of wonder. And But at the same time, you don't want to make it tedious. We don't want people to have to feel obliged to walk 
through the same screen over and over again. But if you have to do it, or if you want to do this, you can, and you would, will get rewarded for it. So, and at the same time, I think as a player journey, like just getting more hearts or more stamina is not enough, and upgrading your sword and the sword changing its color and shape is way more rewarding, and it also indicates your journey. And you also have like these micro decisions that you can make. Should I upgrade my sword to maximum? Or should I, um, because I'm a Zap Trap pro, do I want to invest all my ingredients into the Zap Trap? Uh, spoiler alert, you can actually upgrade everything in a single run. So you don't need to have these have to make these decisions. There's enough stuff if 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 you um <clears throat> invest your time in this. And um for me, this is the thing. Like uh and also a little bit of world building, as you can see, like every single item has a little bit of flavor text to it. Yeah, and we try to be humorous with it as well. And um i think like in in fallout you can collect everything and for me this is a problem because i always have the feeling of missing out so you have a inventory that is endless you can collect everything so don't worry about that um and everything has a worth to it so you don't get like too many sheet ingredients you can always do like at least something like potions so since we don't have potions dropping in the world you need to craft them yes um and you find plenty of crafting stations scattered around the world um and you can find recipes in the world um it should always feel like i think there's nothing worse than running through a big world and it doesn't have a payoff and i think even the mario odyssey this is something that i mentioned as an example to my design team is if you master this triple jump thingy with uh keppy or how he's called and um, you jump basically out of bounds of the levels. The Nintendo guys knew this would happen, and they placed huge amount of stacks of gold coins there. Uh, no, there's, there's nothing that you're missing out if you're not as good, but you get a reward for it yeah. doing it. And and so you can buy a new Mario costume in, in the shop. Um, but as a normal player, you're not like, oh, shit, I will never get this puzzle piece or yeah. this whatever uh, but if you're so good, you get something for it. And yeah, I want to encourage players to visit the world and see all its wonders. And that's why we also hit a lot of the background story into the world. Like you can play the story very uh, straightforward, but if you want to learn more of the world, I didn't want you to read stuff like the books in Skyrim or whatever, but I wanted to have them like audio logs of people from the past that you can listen to their voices and feel their joy, their sadness, their horror to shape the world that uh, you're experiencing. Yeah. I mean, to this day, regular listeners will know, here we go, take a drink, everyone. I mainline Skyrim. Totally did. Mainlined it. I know, right? Just like, let's just do the main quest. I'll get to the side quest. Don't do that, everyone. <laughs> don't, do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. It's not how you play Skyrim. I, it ruined me because <laughs> you just you save the world, actually save the world, and you go back to the village. You go, I'm awesome, and they go, Great, could you go and kill some bandits up the road? What? <laughs> what? So it's like, yeah. Whereas you, you're right, you've done a wonderful job of dangling not just one carrot but millions of carrots, sometimes actual carrots. <laughs> and you, you you get those and you get rewarded for your you know you get rewarded for exploring and finding things and that's wonderful it's a material reward of like yeah you, you are now better at doing this or you can now take this potion and these enemies are less annoying go you oh. um, good stuff 
Speaking of enemies who are less annoying, it's another segue. There you go. <laughs> Boss encounters. There are a few in Excel. And um, they rely on the player using the equipment and the skills they developed in unique and unusual ways that they wouldn't have thought, like, oh, yeah, if I do that, then that's going to make them less annoying <laughs> or less almost, you know, impossible to take out. And I just think, how have you found designing boss the boss encounters? Because that's no mean feat. Oh, it's tough. Mm. Um, it was a lot back and forth. And the thing is, there are amazing uh, YouTube videos about boss design by Mark Brown. Um, so when we were sitting down and trying to figure out, like, how do we make bosses that are as self-explanatory as possible? Because there's nothing more frustrating when it's like a boss that you have to learn by heart, like every single movement. And it should more be something like before you meet this boss, the dungeon has taught you or has given you all the tools that you need. And it took plenty of time to get there, to be honest. And uh, it was basically playtesting and mm. creating tools and scripted events to make this happen. And um, so at the same time, like we wanted to go with a cliche Zelda boss as the first big boss in the sense of like what, what you mentioned as the first boss is just a mini boss. Uh, but is, like the yeah. first big boss is like a spider boss. It is, yeah. And like a lot of Zeldas have this spider boss. And we thought, okay, what's our spin on the vivid? Of course, it's a robot spider. And um, you learn that you need to use the zap trap to zap enemies. And um, you learn to dodge uh, before. And all of this comes together. And we want players to feel smart. We yeah. don't want to signpost them everything in the sense of hit this right here. But still, like we have a character in this game and she comments on stuff. And does, yeah. um, so with the first mini boss, we also use this as because we saw some people not seeing that like when this one robot overheats, he kind of opens up his engine to yeah, cool yeah. it down. Yeah. And then we have her call it out. And um, this is cheap design <laughs> and best this doesn't is, is needed, but it also just helps just in case, because there's so <clears throat> much stuff going on on screens nowadays. Um, it's sometimes hard to focus on what's important. And everyone uh, like I would even say cultural wise, everyone is becoming this amalgam of teachings of how we read stuff and what is important, um, that it always is important to have a very straightforward communication to place that everyone can understand it. And yeah, yeah. this, this was super hard to figure <laughs> out. And um, I would say, and what I was trying to say before, there are a lot of awesome videos on the internet, how to do great boss design you know shit until you try to do it yourself yeah. <laughs> and fail over and over when people do this. The same goes for everything, basically. Yeah. We watched so many videos of Mark Brown from Game Makers Toolkit. And um, like those are amazing videos. The design team basically know them by heart. But I wouldn't say that we did one dungeon where it was exactly how it should be done. But it was something where we were like, it's baby steps. It's learning it. And each dungeon has a different approach to it, a different philosophy. Like the first dungeon is a gauntlet. The second one is a horror dungeon. 
and the third one is like a trial by combat dungeon and um but i we would have loved to do, do a puzzle dungeon uh, like like a puzzle room dungeon where the whole dungeon is a puzzle but it's right. super hard to pull that off yeah yeah so we yeah. tried it on paper we tried it on prototypes and we knew okay we don't want the second water temple right like we don't want to be oh, famous yeah. for creating yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 um so it's 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 trial and error most of the time with bosses yeah. and watch people play this that because well i had lots of fight with my battle designers fabio he's a lovely guy and he always said no all our enemies are way too easy and i always said no they're not people will die at the first mini boss and he was like no no one can die at the first mini boss and when we watched the streamers all the streamers died yeah at the first yeah. mini boss no, I did. so i did yeah, I just, I just, I just okay. Yeah, yeah. It's not really. Uh, I didn't know what to do, but it's just like that when it goes crazy and starts flipping around, and like, uh, <laughs> yeah. do I go close to it? Do I run away? You know, it's yeah, one of those things. Everyone has their own way of defeating that thing. I found, but uh, doing it first go is just, uh, yeah, that's going to be something special to do that. That it, it wasn't me. Didn't deter me from playing <laughs> through though. Can't stress that enough. But, that's important. Uh, that's that's important. important. Didn't determine. I knew it was my fault. That's very important. Knew it was my <laughs> fault, not the not the game's fault. So, uh, Excel, uh, developed by Tiny Raw. We know why you're called Tiny Raw now. You've you've explained earlier on in the show. So thank you very much. It's a wonderful thing of, you know, uh, just uh, you yelling into not to the, not old man yelling at cloud. No, far from it. It's just you. Yeah, um, <laughs> like yes, you you are the small compact team but you're still able to emit a rather loud roar so that's excellent yes <laughs> and um it's published by assemble entertainment and what platforms is excel available on morris it, it's available for pc and switch launch today and we are currently working on playstation 4 playstation 5 xbox one and x series versions that will come later this year nice. um and yeah, just by mentioning this, of course, like, and, and, and to be super transparent, like, uh, as we already saw, like some people reviewing the Switch version, like we're obviously working on updates and everything. Like, uh, I can just say that the whole team right now is just reading every single comment out there and trying to figure out what needs to be fixed. So uh, the Excel is an ongoing adventure, I want to say. And um, like the PC version is right now, like I want to say, like the most updated one yeah. because uh, like pushing a new version on Steam is basically like a button click, yeah, and then it's, it's there yeah. once you go to the initial submission. And um, also, like if you want to communicate with the team, everyone, uh, of course, everyone says this about themselves, but we have a very lovely people that love to talk about how they made certain decisions. So you can jump on our Discord, like our tiny raw Discord is very easily findable if you Google it. Nice. And um, yeah, like we, we love to talk about making the games and why we do them the way we do. Yeah, as you've done today. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> Yay! Morris, you've been a wonderful, wonderful guest. Thank you so much for sharing so much Aww. about the, the design. <laughs> you, Chris, you have been a wonderful so. host, really. Like it was super cozy. Thank you. Uh, I, I do my best. <laughs> I do. He likes to think. But um, now, Morris, you're more than welcome to come back to talk about whatever next you're cooking up over there at Tiny Raw. I'm sure it's something. It's probably a cart racer. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but um, whatever it is. 
more than welcome to come back and talk about it. We have had many return guests over the years, and uh, we will be here. I know it's going to take three or four years to do another one, but we'll be here, trust me. But until then, <laughs> until then, thank you so, so much. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs>